This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to Detection at Scale. Today I am here with Adil Saeed. He is currently the technical strategy leader at Kindrel. And prior to that, he was a CISO, a CIO at large financial services companies, aviation companies, and more. Adil, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we were talking about this a little bit before we hit record, and I think you have a really interesting career progression. So maybe we could start there. You went from a practitioner to now leading technical strategy. And prior to that, you were actually a CIO, CISO. So walk me through like the big steps and how you made those transitions. And then talk a little bit about what you're doing today. Sure, absolutely. So, I mean, it's never something that you desire or you want, right? You always want to be a part of an organization where you can make a difference. Uh, be it on the technical side or be on the delivery side, or at least doing the right things for your clients. So client focus has been my pinnacle throughout my career, whether it's working for financial services organizations in the past and at least servicing our internal clients for helping them, uh, you know, as a corporate CIO and or a CISO in helping them deliver for our external customers. I always have this mantra, which is if you enable your internal clients or your internal, you know, colleagues, as we should say nowadays, to have the right tools, the right technologies, and the right safeguards, they can service the customer base that we're supposed to service in a very efficient manner. So that has been the mantra. And I have been a technologist by trade since I got into the industry, mostly an engineer and an infrastructure person. And security, as we all know, while it's highlighted today over the last 5, 10 years, has become more, more prevalent. 15 years ago, it was part and parcel from a network perspective. No one thought of security as a practice. They all thought, if I have a network that has a firewall, it's actually secure. And then there were some risk elements along with it. So taking that to the next level, being hands-on and then at least going into leadership roles across various, you know, really not, uh, prestigious organizations where I had the opportunity to be of service to them uh, more recently with an aviation carrier. And then when this opportunity at Kindle arrived, it was more along the lines of, you know, taking everything that you have learned and how can you at least sit on the other side which is more on a managed infrastructure side, because at Kindle, we are you know, a large managed infrastructure service. Right? We are the largest in the world. We power progress. We are the hearts and lungs of many large organizations. So how can you at least be a small part of a very large organization that is trying to do the right thing for their customers, which is manage their infrastructure, the system, in not just an efficient manner, but a very secure and efficient manner. So coming on the practitioner side now, I always say that was the dark side where I was. Now it's the light side. But the light side, at least, you can now apply whatever you have learned in the industry, working with these different entities and be able to apply it to other entities and at least work with my colleagues internally to help deliver that actual message of technology, security, and what does it mean to at least not just be a practitioner, but what does it mean to at least know the landscape, but also have an open ear and an open eye to learn more about what's next to come. So what are you focused on right now in terms of Cyber, what's been a thing that's been interesting that you're maybe incorporating in at Kindrel? From a trend perspective, insecurity, I mean, risk, security risk management, 
consolidation of cybersecurity tools that hold transitioning from a traditional seam and soar to a more, what I would say, observability space, which includes artificial intelligence, automation, enriched with threat intelligence, and then amalgamating multiple, what I would say, risk measuring products or tools across an organization to bring them into a central location, right? That is what I believe, at least what I have seen in the past being on the other side and even working for the organization, is that is what the industry would need and desire to, at least from a very myopic perspective, to have a consolidated view of what's out there. Right? So tool consolidation, risk metrics, reporting and analytics, all within a single pane of glass or a single unified interface, at least to some degree, would be something that you know would be desirable in the industry. What's been your exposure to doing these things at like a very high scale? So I imagine at the big aviation company, you probably did quite a lot of that. But is it the same sort of environment at Kendrill where you're working with others? It's a services company, right? So you're working with other companies and implementing? Yes. So again, sitting on the strategy side, the opportunity that I have is you know working with our internal colleagues and our practices that are meant to deliver for this is to work with them closely in not just identifying solutions for our clients, but also working with them to create services which our clients can benefit from. So while sitting at financial services or the aviation side was more hands-on. So, you know, working for other organizations that I have as a practitioner, average tool side from a security standpoint is at least a dozen tools. And all these tools, you can verticalize them I'll put them in a vertical, cybersecurity vertical, they were all point-in-time solutions or products that were either implemented due to an issue that you had at a point in time or due to a regulatory demand. Because, I mean, unless there are security teams that have a lot of time, security is baptism by fire, right? I mean, anyone that sits in that chair is always behind the eight ball. They're always firefighting. And at least having the luxury of planning, strategizing, or at least building their roadmap comes after the fact. And then you have plethora of tools, plethora of marketing terms, and plethora of technologies that might overlap to some degree. I like how you phrase that, where security tools are either adopted because of some regulatory requirement or because something bad happened. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's fairly accurate. It reminds me of a conversation I had the other day with someone where I asked the question, which I'll ask to you, which is like, which like resource or experience taught you the most about like practical security? You know, you never read that in a book or at school or, you know, speaking with your friends outside. It always happens through experience and through exposure. So mine has been, again, while working for these regulated entities, touch wood, not many issues or big issues, I would say, that were noteworthy. But at least having that one endpoint that goes rogue because the antivirus is not updated, having that one person that has been trained so well, but has their tools turned off because they have elevated privileges in the globe having that as an entry point. And then at least being able to catch it or identify that issue way down the road with limited exposure to the organization is a win. But a real win is if you can stop it right at the gate, right? So touch wood, things have not progressed as far as they have you know, penetrated deep within the environment. They have been, at least from my exposure, has been they've been caught at the surface or before they could cause more damage. But at the same time, that gives you a learning lesson saying, why even let it go this far? Right? How do you stop it right at the gate, at the door? But at the same time, security or protecting environments have been a challenge because security normally adds overhead to adaptability, to collaboration. Either it slows down or negates it. People want to collaborate in a free way, in an open way, 
They don't care. I mean, I shouldn't say they don't care about security. Everyone does, but they don't care about security being an impediment to what they're trying to do. And that was my opening statement, right? So as tools and technologies have evolved, security products are becoming mature in that case, where they're less adding less tax. They're not taxing the endpoints or the servers or the utilization that, right? I always see security as you walking at the airport without having to go through that TSA where you have to take off things or put things out. You walk through the doors, you're identified, you're scanned, you're a known person, right? So for you, you want that airport experience from the time you enter the airport to the time you board a plane to be transparent and easy. But at the same time, you know that I'm secure. You don't have to create the aura of security by having barriers and guards. (laughs) Because cybersecurity threats don't look at that, right? They don't care you have two guards standing outside or a body scanning machine. It comes in a systematic way. So how do you systematically manage it and secure it at the end? Yeah, we call that security theater. (laughs) Well said. I have to note that. That's great. (laughs) I like this emphasis, too, of leaning more into prevention. How do you think we get to that world? Because it can be be a little dangerous to combine automation with prevention tooling. Like, what do you think of the baby steps of going from the world where it's fully reactive to more proactive when it comes to threat detection and threat response? You're absolutely right. Automating prevention could be a recipe for disaster to some degree. But identification of threats up front, right, in a proactive manner, which is threat intelligence, threat detection. So I'm always a firm believer of having the right threat intelligence out there. Not just open source or not just open, which used to be the case, but also paid for. And the reason for that is more fine-tuned threat intelligence that you can receive, which is specific to your industry and your organization and your peer set, the more you are better able to be able to protect that environment. And then you can at least take a risk-based judgment and saying, based on the intelligence, where is my risk exposure, right? And that's normally not done in a cohesive manner. It's done in a very bifurcated manner. You'll have threat intelligence and somebody down the road will do a PowerPoint or run a report and say, well, here's my risk exposure. That train has left the station. So how do you systematically have threat intelligence, which is at least knowing where your environment is, understanding your risk exposure, so understanding what your attack surface is to actually start with? Because there is no way any anyone can protect 100% of their environment, right? You have to be able to protect majority of it. That percentage could be up in the air, it could be anything. But as long as you're protecting your critical assets, you are putting enough safeguards in place for you to be able to operate as a business effectively. That's a more proactive approach in managing security. Yeah, I think that's a very reasonable approach too, because you never want to try and boil the ocean, especially when you're looking at signal, because the more that you put into a, a SIM, for example, the more distraction you could potentially have. And the more expensive it is to manage all that data, and it's just a level of complexity that's not often needed unless you have regulatory reasons for that. Right. I mean, and you know, there are there are many views on what a sim is and how a sim is a, is a dinosaur and, you know, how it's a distraction. But I actually believe it is a necessary evil to some degree. You need to be able to know what's in your environment. You know, mm-hmm. a sore gives you so much. And of course, seeing many people say it's going away and there are multiple large organizations and products which are dear to our collective hearts and, and our customers' hearts, right, across the organization. And there are themes that have evolved either from the application monitoring space, network monitoring space, and evolved into a theme or have been traditional themes, which are now ingesting or have learned to ingest that data in a more smarter or more intelligent way, leading into that. So same is how you deploy. Same is how you manage it. If you want all your logs 
and your entire environment, including that printer log that comes in that's sitting in somebody's office, yes, you are creating a lot of noise. But again, to the original conversation that we had before, if you identify your risk, you map your risk exposure, and you start covering that, or at least putting monitoring in that space, then I think a sim could be, forgive the pun, intelligently guided to manage your events, but apply a sort-type tool on top of that to help that prevention approach in an automated manner, in a measured way. Easier said than done, but it's very easy yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, when you were explaining that, the layers that I thought of were the world that we've lived in in the past was very reactive. We would get a breach or you would get notified by the FBI or whoever and say, hey, we found a bunch of credentials here that were posted from six months ago. You should probably go figure that out. Going from that world, or maybe even just reacting internally from internal intelligence or intelligence or whatever it may be, to be more proactive and looking at signal in a more intelligent way, which for what it's worth, I don't believe is ML-based. I haven't seen enough proof that that's a silver bullet. And I think it's really the combination of multiple signals and analysis with multiple ways to really get to the point where things can become higher fidelity and more proactive. And then I think it goes from there to for the things that we are 80% sure on, we can automate, we should. And humans should only get involved for that 20% that's very, very non-trivial and unexpected. And once we get to that world, then I think we'd likely see less breaches. We would see security teams becoming more empowered. The challenge becomes standardization of all the data, to be completely honest. like That's always the biggest problem in security is how can vendors and maybe even the SIM providers all sort of shake their hands and be like, okay, we want to make this easier for everybody so we can do the enrichment, so we can do the data modeling, so we can have good proactive detection. But at the end of the day, it ends up being such a big fundamental data problem. It is just a couple of points, Jack. You kind of gotten me really excited on that ML piece. Like, I don't disagree, but I, I, believe, I believe machine learning needs a level of maturity, right? And that level of maturity requires all the right disciplinary steps that you mentioned, which is data structure, consistency of data, you know, that orchestration being consistent. But we all know that no two companies, or even within the same organization, you would have the same data types, right? Cloud, not cloud. You can use our cloud providers, but then you are putting different data sets on it. So structured data breaches, at least in my mind, have been few and far between, right? Normally, a breach entry point is unstructured data where things come into the environment. And the reason it's unstructured data is because there is so much chaos in there. And when I say structured data, it's applications. Yes, you might have a bug in an application or an exposure, but an entry point is an email, as an example, the biggest cause of breaches right out there. Somebody, uh, you know, phishing or somebody sending malware within the organization or configuration issues out there, right? Which it's a misconfigured network or a misconfigured application. So that theme identification well, I think the more data collectively that we can feed with anonymity, right? Having trust, not just between the servicer and the software provider, but also the entities using it, going into this consolidated manner, like we are all, you know, friends in arms that have to be able to share that level of data, anonymize it, right? Remove pertinent information which might expose a customer or an entity, but at least give that data set to a lab type of approach to create those ML data sets which could then be used by these team organizations to work with these companies, which, again, as a customer, we could utilize, or as a provider, we could implement. I think that level of, that's happening in some industries. That's not to say it's not happening, right? There are ISACs 
that are set up to kind of help that from, you know, whether it's financial services or aviation. But I don't believe it's happening at a scale where it would make a huge difference for the wider community. Yeah, that's a great point. You really need a high quality set of data in order to do that. Because I think the issue we've seen with ML systems and security is they're just highly false positive. And then what ends up happening is we feed them through filters and in additional processing because we can't rely on it. So it's not a world we want to be in, but you know, hopefully some of the work that we're at least doing can help with that being sort of like a provider that is centered around big data and building the fundamentals for things like that to exist. So what specifically have you been paying attention to in the market when it comes to detection? So from a detection perspective, again, you have your threat detection tools, right? Your, I would say your, not even M, X or Y, it's just your detection and response tools, right? I'm just going to drop the E of all stuff there. So not just endpoint or managed detection. I think the XDR marketing term or, you know, is quite relevant. I think you couple that with your attack surface management, which I'm a firm believer attack surface management is still important. That gives you the ability to be able to test and manage your risk to identify where your gaps are. So that detection and response, those DR solutions that are out there are getting more and more prevalent. Of course, there's an overlap with traditional AV out there, right? But couple that DR solution with either FIM solution that we started this conversation, you know, with file integrity monitoring or other products, all of that combined to me are data governance, right? Data governance, data security. At the end of the day, true secure data governance is you managing your data, securing your data, managing who has access to what data, and being able to manage that data piece from origin, from cradle to grave, from origination to dissemination. So that's what I'm seeing, at least if I were to just aggregate it. Of course, there's a lot of tools and technologies and processes in, in between. But ultimately, the goal is, hey, if I have the right level of security and the right governance on that data set, and if it's really secure, then I could have a malware. I could have a virus. I could have somebody breach my environment. But as long as they don't have access, that data is secure. It's, you know, it's, it's garbled for them because they don't have access to the key set. And I've picked it up. For me, they can come in because breaches will happen. We all know that, right? I mean, it's not that we can never have a breach. We will always have a breach. It's how effective our controls are in identifying and in responding to it. So that detection response needs the right level of control set tools, which are the data governance and the data access tools that kind of go with it. Let's shift gears slightly. So I'm really curious about your perspective of being a security leader. I think it's a very high stress job just in general. And given that Security is one of the most nebulous things to probably be an executive for. So what do you think the biggest challenge has been as a prior CISO slash CIO? You know, it's first of all, always ready to know that you are ready to leave the organization in an event of an issue. But I don't think that's how security professionals operate, right? The most important thing in that position is to make sure you are ahead of the curve. You are a business partner to the business. You are not the office of no. You're the office of collaboration, which can actually promote business in a secure manner. So the biggest challenge is how do you work with your business colleagues in, first of all, understanding the business? You need to be able to understand the business in order to effectively support, right? Again, security is not an ivory tower. It's here's how I see it. Security is an embedded part of the organization, even though it has to be independent and it has to be governed independently, all that good stuff. But it needs to be part of the business because if you understand the business, then you can understand the nuances of it and what's required to secure it, and what's required to promote it. So the biggest challenge is, number one, understanding the business. The second challenge is staying ahead of the curve. 
you know, having the right tools and technologies out there, which again leads to the most important question for any organization. Are you asking for the right, um, right budget? Are you asking for the right resources, which there is a shortage of in the industry that we know? Do you have the right tools and technologies? And last but not least, outside of you understanding the business, does the business understand what security is, right? It's not just a password or my phone gets locked out at five attempts or I can't FaceTime my friends. It's have you done enough education and awareness to it? So yes, I think all jobs are stressful. Security is no different. But I think security, unless you become a business partner with understanding and education both ways, the level of stress just keeps going up right? because then you're working in isolation. I guess that's my point. So where do you think in the business security should be embedded? Because I think this is always a really interesting area. Like, is it a fully separate vertical? Is it within engineering? Like, where have you seen it be the most successful? I think COVID has kind of helped us in some shape or form, you know, identify and determine that, you know, hierarchical layers of reporting or embedding or matter less. We're all remote. We're all all over the place, our basements, our garages, the backyards, parks, you know, mountains. So you don't know where you're reporting line managers. You don't know which business you're talking to everyone. So the point is just using that as a very bad example. I think security does not have to be embedded in business. I think security has to partner with business. And business has to understand what security is. Because if you don't understand what your exposure is from a business perspective due to a security, but it shouldn't be a fear factor. Of course, fear drives volume. Fear drives all the emotion and fear drives a lot of budget, right? <laughs> that comes in. But if you move the fear factor aside and you have more of a rational conversation, which is hard at times, to say, how do you empower business to be able to deliver, but also keep it secure so they can still stay in business? I think that question never gets answered or asked. You present to boards, you present to executive teams and what your risk exposure is and how many patches are out there or how many vulnerabilities are there. And you know, what's happening in, in different parts of the world or what the geopolitical status is, right? It's very rare where you sit and you say, well, based on our business discipline, this is how our business is shaped. We expect, we see this risk exposure if we're expanding our business or managing it. Our risk due to a cyber event because of business could go potentially down. Our revenue could be exposed because of X, Y, or Z, right? And that's being working with the business. I almost feel like if you embed security in business, it becomes subservient to it. And actually, in most cases, it might not be that effective, right? Because it could be overridden. But embedding the security knowledge and having that partnership shoulder to shoulder drives more volume. So you're jointly accountable. Security is, but you as a business leader are accountable if you have a security issue. I think that accountability piece has to be there. Because today, everyone sees in many organizations if a business gets breached, it's the security team's issue. They should have done better. I believe the business leaders should have done better also in working with security, either explaining to them their business and partnering with them to secure it adequately. It shouldn't be a one-way street. How do you think we build that mindshare? Education. Education, not the fear factor. Education. Uh, simplicity in security. It's too complex. Seeing source, TDR, XDR, ASM, CPSM, CPM. I mean, it's great for us. How do you explain to business in simple terms what security should mean to them? If I speak with business colleagues, you know, in not the organization, but even outside it, to them, security is, is my PC locked? Do I have the right antivirus? You know, am I doing my annual training once or twice a year? And, uh, you know, how do I avoid malware? And is my crypto wallet secure or not kind of deal as an example? But there is so much more to it in simple terms, not just training, right? It's that awareness piece. 
gamification, I think, that has come into the market is a great tool to take your executive teams through. Cyber ranges, right? Educating them on what the exposure is. Uh, classroom training is a good tool, but I don't think it's a very effective tool. Gamification, taking them through live scenarios, your right business leaders, showing them what has to be done and what a potential exposure should look like in real life, I think adds so much value. And having done that before in many organizations, taking the executives through it, I believe that doesn't just you know instill fear, it instills education where they become the leaders in telling their teams, hey, you should be focused on security, right? Take those meetings, <laughs> understand the business logic. So it's awareness. It's not just training, it's also awareness. I like the gamification element. I think people right. learn more with like a practical element just in general. Yeah. And absolutely. And I think, I mean, just having done a business test in a prior organization with it, you saw more people taking the test and failing it, right? Because they wanted to see what the other options are, you know? And again, because it's more intuitive versus saying, you know, find that little post-it, where is it on the keyboard? You'll like click here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Awesome. Adil, this has been a great conversation. I want to end with one final question, which is, what are your three pieces of advice that you could tell people listening in to be more effective? just as a security leader in the future? Keep threat intelligence close to your heart. Always try to get the right information from the right sources. It's key to your business. Don't let that go, number one. Two, peer-to-peer contact in the industry is the most valuable asset, at least in the security vertical. So the more people and the more colleagues you know in your business line and can network with them um, online, offline, I think it's very effective in managing security. And last but not least, you know, staying ahead of the curve. And that's actually not just working with partners and software providers, but also looking at different entities or different solutions that are coming out of the market. So that was my advice. I love that. That's, that's great wisdom to instill us with for the remainder of the show. I really appreciate the time today. Really enjoyed this conversation and uh, hope everyone who is listening and got a lot of value from that too. Appreciate it, Jack. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Adil. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.